How often do we forget who we are as Christians? To say that I'm a Christian, to say that I'm a believer in Christ, to say that I am a disciple, what does that actually mean to me? For most of us, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we answer something along the lines of, I believe in the scriptures, I pray, I go to mass, I receive the sacraments, I do all the things necessary to claim this title of being a Christian. It's what I do. But there's a story I heard about, and I think it's fictitious, but it's nice for an analogy for a homily. But there was about this power plant somewhere in the world that just ran absolutely spectacularly. It made clean and efficient energy. It didn't cut into uh, resources too much. It was efficient. It just made everything, everybody's life so much easier. And so other power plants wanted to go to this particular plant to observe and see different methods of how this is done. How do you pull this off? so they can bring it back to their countries and better the world little by little by little. So they go and they see everything. One person asks, well, this is perfect. This really is great. It's efficient. The power is excellent. It's more than we need. There's an abundance of it. So how do you get it from your power plant to the homes around you? How do you get it to the neighborhood? And they ask, well, what do you mean? What's the method that you use after you make this wonderful energy, this electricity, this power? How do you get it from this plant to the neighborhoods and the surrounding areas so that people can benefit from it. He said, I think there might be a miscommunication, a misunderstanding. All of the energy, all of the power, all of the electricity that is generated from this power plant, we actually use just to keep this power plant continuously running. That sounds absolutely absurd, does it not? All of this work, all of this energy going into making this electricity, this power, and then it's only used to continue what that work is doing. Nobody else benefits from it. There's no money to be made. Nobody's lives are made better. It exists only to help itself exist. See, it sounds crazy, but then put that in the perspective of how so many Christians throughout the world live their lives today. I'm a good person. I pray. I read the Bible. I know who Jesus is, but who am I to step on somebody else's toes and tell them about Jesus? I got to respect their beliefs. Really? Yes, respect their beliefs. But Jesus is very clear. Go and proclaim the good news that you have. Go and tell people the good news of the gospel. Who we are as a church exists not for this power plant mentality of we're just going to do all of these things to keep ourselves going. If we're not going to go out and try to make disciples of all nations, something else Jesus actually explicitly said to do, then we might as well pack up and go home. The church loses her mission. She ceases to function as a missionary bride of Jesus Christ, as the bride. We are the ones who have to leave from these walls and take what we've received to go and to bear fruit, to bring that power out into the world. We can't just keep it contained here. Because if that's what happens, we get stagnant and we die off. We're going to get bored. I'm going to be honest with you. If we didn't have all these different things that Christ came going on now, normally during the semester, it's kind of dead right now in the summer. We're happy that you're here. If we didn't have all of these Bible studies and encounter nights and confessions on confessions on confessions, all these daily masses, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students coming in and out, going back out onto campus, Free Speech Alley, the JP2 House, Homeless Ministry, and everything else that we do, if that didn't happen, I would get so bored. 
Father Andrew and I would probably go to the chancery down the road, knock on Bishop Duca's door and say, please send us somewhere else. Because that's not the heart of a disciple. Thanks be to God, that's not who we are as the church. It is good to pray, obviously. It's good to read the scriptures. It's good to know Christ in a deep and profound way. But he has to transform you in such a way to energize you in a sense, to send you forward and to bring that power that authority, everything that he gave to the disciples and the 12 were named to be sent forward. Yeah, but those are the apostles. I can't possibly live up to what they did. What was the last name of the 12 of the apostles named? Judas the Iscariot, who betrayed him. Even Judas was sent forward with power and with authority. How dare we look at the Lord and say, you made a mistake, I'm not the one to call. I'm not good enough for that. The harvest is so abundant, but the laborers are so few. We usually draw on that passage from Matthew's Gospel every time Vocations Awareness Week comes around in November because there are so many faithful and good holy Catholics out there and there are so few of us priests. And that's very true. Yes, the harvest is abundant. The laborers are few. But you are counted in that number of laborers. Because you too are charged with the task of going forward and proclaiming the good news. But what is the good news? Jesus loves you. Yeah, good start. But what I propose is maybe a five-step message that you can bring to people. And it is not theologically dense. It is, but you don't have to present it in that way. In simple conversations with people, we can bring the good news of the gospel and telling them five little things. Number one, God loves you, period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. God loves you. And he has an amazing plan for your life. Always has and always will. From the beginning of time, before you were even created, he had a plan for you before all of creation. God loves you with that type of love. But number two, sin destroys that. Our sin, my sin, your sin, it has destroyed that plan. It has ruined it. That's why life is difficult. That's why illness exists. That's why poverty is in the world. All these different things. It's not a punishment from God, but it's a natural consequence to when we disorder things by our sin. God loves you, and he has a plan, but sin has ruined that plan. But number three, Jesus loves you so immensely that he willingly gave his life to destroy that sin that destroyed the plan of God. He died for you. You, not y'all, not Louisiana, not North America, for you individually. Tell the person by name, Jimmy, Sue, whoever you are speaking to, Jesus Christ died for you to restore you to this fullness of the beautiful plan that God loves you with, but was destroyed by sin. God loves you and has a plan. Sin has destroyed it. Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life to restore you to that. But number four, you are called to respond to that good news. It's not just something like you go to a Broadway play or a musical or something. It's like, wow, that was a beautiful message that I took away from that. All right, I'm going to go home. That's it. Show's over. No, you receive this good news and you are called to respond to it in a particular way, in a real way. What that is, is calling someone to repentance and conversion. Now, those are two big words. Father, I can't tell somebody to repent or to convert. 
I get it, so don't say that. Use the words that the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. You are called to a radical reorienting of your life to Jesus Christ. Reorient your life radically to Jesus. Because he's the one who heals. He's the one who died to restore you to this fullness of love. So concretely decide what you're going to do to follow him. And it can't just stop with, I'm going to pray in my home and that's going to be it. We're not a power plant. God loves you and has a plan. Sin has destroyed that plan. Jesus loves you and gives you his life so that he can restore you to that. But he calls you to this repentance. And then number five, as the gospel says, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're Catholic, you've been baptized. There's only one baptism. Last week I was in the Holy Land in Israel and I had at least three different people come up to me and say, Father, I want to be rebaptized. I'm like, great, you can't. Let's renew your baptismal promises standing in the Jordan River. Let's give you a blessing. Let's pray together. I'll sprinkle you with the water, but you can't be rebaptized. You've received that spirit already. Wake up, church. It is time to let that spirit be stirred within our hearts so that we can go out and bring the energy, the power, the electricity from that little power plant into the world. We have everything that we need. God loves us. Sin destroys us. Jesus restores us. We're called to repentance, to conform ourselves to him, to receive that Holy Spirit. That is our message. And people, we have no other message. There is no other message. What could be better than that? Nobody has to be pressed too much to look into their lives and see where there's pain and suffering and confusion and death and everything else that doesn't seem good. And it is okay to acknowledge that. God is all good. God is all loving. And he is all powerful. Then why does the pain still exist? Because of the sin. But there is redemption from that. Our suffering has been redeemed because of the Lord's sacrifice on the cross. If we really internalize this message of the gospel, this good news, and let it transform our hearts so that we can go out into the world, we don't need to make up any other kind of message. We don't need to get creative. As scripture says, just let the truth be released like a lion. It's going to defend itself. People will reject and scorn and laugh, sure. They did the same thing to Jesus. But what's stopping us? We can't just be this own little, our own little power plant, just keeping ourselves going with our own spiritual practices, reading scripture and praying the rosary and making our holy hours and coming to mass. All of those things are good and you absolutely should do it. But not if it's just to keep you going alone. Go and spread that to other people. If you're at the end of your tether, let other people bring it into you so that you can be brought to this greater fullness, this healing, and then go send it out to other people. We work together as a church. See, when you see it in this light, and when Matthew says that Jesus told the disciples, the apostles, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are so few. Why? Because the laborers don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're out there supposed to be taken care of. But we know, we know the message, it's the only message, it's the only good news, and we can't stop there.
You have received the Holy Spirit. You have received the good news. You hear it again and again and again. Every single Mass, daily or Sunday, regular Tuesday afternoon or the fullest high feast day of the church, you hear the good news proclaimed. Let it transform you. Let yourself be converted, conformed to the fullness of Christ through his church, through the sacraments, through the scriptures. That's the good news. It transforms us, it heals us, and it sends us back out so that we can be those laborers. Yes, we absolutely should ask the Lord for more laborers for the harvest. I'm going to make that appeal at the end of Mass. We should ask for that. But only if it starts within ourselves. It has to. We can't just be part of the people that sit by and say, oh, that's terrible, I'm going to pray for a solution. You should, but are you actively trying to be part of that solution? That's the question. Jesus was. The apostles were. The 12 disciples, the 72 disciples, the thousands of disciples as you go through the book of Acts and it gets bigger and bigger all throughout the world. This is what we are called to do and we shouldn't be afraid of it. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's our message. And it's the only message we've got, so let's proclaim it boldly. In and of itself, it's already good and it's sufficient. So imagine if our hearts are conformed to the sacred heart of our Lord and brought to life, energized in such a way to where we want to go and spread it. Imagine what the church would look like. Imagine what the world would look like. The world, our country, the church, Christ the King, our campus of LSU, our families, your own heart. Imagine what would happen. I can't tell you that. I wish I could. But the Lord knows. And the Lord can and will tell you. So let him. Let him. Give him freedom. Give him that permission to let you hear the good news again to internalize it again, to be transformed and converted again, so as to leave the doors of this church, go into your homes, your schools, your workplaces, your families, and to spread that same good news in those five little steps. God loves you and has a plan. Your sin destroys that plan. Jesus loves you and has given his life to restore you to that. And he calls you to repentance, to conform yourself to him, and I'll receive the Holy Spirit and go and tell someone else the same one and only good news. Thank you for listening to the Christ the King at LSU podcast. The ministry here is possible thanks to our generous supporters. If you would like to become a CTK Golden Giver or learn more, please check our website. Your monthly financial support reaches hearts across LSU's campus and beyond. Details can be found on the website at ctklsu.org.